So I titled this message, The Essential of Essentials, because without love, Christian church is nowhere. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, we, we've been hearing that word for a, a lot in the last four years, essential. I don't know how many of you guys were essential three years ago. Hopefully a lot of you were. Um, there was there was a period of time when, when the church was not essential, <clears throat> and we took five weeks off, a whole five weeks here at, at Midtown, um, just to see what was going on with that little virus a few years back. But we heard this word all the time, that business is not essential. This place is not essential. And so we we have the word essential on our mind as more, it seems kind of a businessy thing in America, but the essentials in the Christian uh, life, the, per, the the life of a Christian every single day are put forth in the quote, the greatest gift chapter or the love chapter. Verse there, uh, one through four is what we'll get to, but the entire chapter, it's only 13 verses. Many of you guys know it. Many of you guys have heard tons of teachings on it. And I want to remind us, it is a, it's an exhaustive list and it can seem sometimes <clears throat> when we fail, when we struggle, that we just throw in the towel, like, oh, I'll never get it. I'll just never be the person that I want to be. But that's not, that's not the call here. The call here is let's look at where we're at and let's keep on going toward Christian love, the truest sense of what it is. Uh, verse one, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. <clears throat> and this is, this is a verse that you hear a lot of times at weddings. You hear this um, there's a lot of pastors that, that, that kind of jump onto this verse cause there's so much in it. And you could, you could probably just do a teaching or two just on this, but to get back to the Corinthians who were the recipients of this letter, they loved the eloquent. They loved really these brilliant teachers, these, these scholars, they loved philosophy. They loved like, like the kind of art that I would look at and go, I don't get it. They were into that. They loved it. The, the kind of um, person reading poetry that I'm like, I didn't understand one word of that. They're like, that's what we love. So they're, they're, they have a higher order. They loved the thinkers. They loved all this stuff. But they loved the church people. They loved the gift of tongues. They loved these unknown languages of angels. Um, this reference by Paul is a reference to the high premium that they would put on all of these things. The gift of tongues, languages unknown to them. I don't know about you guys, but when I watch movies <clears throat> years ago, I was a, the biggest like Jason Bourne fan. And my mom's maiden name is Bourne, like the British way to spell it. So I was like, ooh, maybe I have like that spy stuff in my past, like MI6 or whatever it is. But I always loved how wherever Jason Bourne was, he's speaking Russian, he's speaking Hungarian, he's speaking French, he's like with an American accent. Like, I mean, all these, all these, I'm like, Man, apparently to be a spy, you just have to like speak 10 languages or wherever you are, just figure out how to talk to the people in their language. I don't know about you. doesn't seem possible, but that's why movies are fun. But in this case, with these Corinthian believers, they loved this. They loved the gift of tongues. They loved the gift, um, these unknown languages that nobody understood. And obviously without interpretation, it's not something that's going to help the church out at all to have somebody just, just spout off tongues up at the pulpit. I've seen this before at churches. Um, it made me feel more weird hearing like 15 people at once do tongues at the same time at this holiday in church in the eighties. And I was just coming to watch a movie 
And they just started doing that before they watched the movie and hugging and kissing each other. And I was like, this is weird, man. <laughs> the Holiday Inn's a little weird, too. Like, does everybody live here? I don't know what's going on. I was eight. But the gift of tongues is a beautiful gift. It should edify the person that has that gift. It should, it should enhance their relationship with Jesus, but it should also be praising God. It should also be lifting up Jesus. Even if that person does not understand the words that their tongue is putting out, it should be praises to God. I have been in places where people are just doing it. They're just like, here it is. I've been, me and Shannon were at a conference a few years back where the guy just started doing it. And then randomly, he's like, does anybody have a clue what that is? And one guy goes, I think this is what God was saying. I'm, I'm like, okay, thank God. I hope that's what it was. But I don't know. I mean, who knows? The guy wasn't like put up there as the interpreter. Like when you have a guy from another country that speaks another language, there's an interpreter right here. And we get it right away. Like that's what he said. And here it is in English. I don't know. I don't know about that. It was, it was, it was felt a little off, <clears throat> but he says, whatever the language, whatever the tongues of man or angels, these are amazing gifts, but without agape love, without the sacrificial love, it's a clanging symbol. You hear it. It makes a beautiful noise. It's gone. Now, tongues specifically, because he says it right off the bat in this, um, in these first few verses, I want to suggest to you, and it's not a perfect illustration, it's not a perfect um, analogy, if you will, but from the perspective of tongues, this is per personal edification. It reaches up to God. It reaches me. Whereas inside, we have this idea of like upreach, inreach, outreach. So outreach is the church reaching out to the world. Inreach is me reaching up to God and, um, uh, excuse me, reaching up to God is tongues. Reaching inside the church is this idea of public edification. Uh, verse two, he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. This is the idea of, of inreach. This teaching, prophecy, um, some of these teachers that they have, these, these were gifts for the church, gifts to to display for the church. And he's saying tongues, that's a personal gift. That's a personal, personal edification thing. And that reaches me, that reaches up to God and it helps me out. This reaches inside of the church. Teaching builds up the church. Prophecy, a word from God. The prophets, they were building up God's people in the Old Testament and anybody that had that gift. This idea of um having the gift of prophecy, understanding all this stuff, knowledge, discernment. These are great gifts for the church, for the church. Um, most people outside of the church don't really care if you have the gift of prophecy. Most atheists don't really care if you have spiritual discernment. They just don't care. They don't really know what that means, but they don't care. And in verse three, he says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. This is the idea of outreach, reaching out to the world. So you've got inreach, upreach, and outreach. <clears throat> and the church should be practicing all those things. The people in the church should be reaching up to God personally. They should have a personal relationship with God. They shouldn't not hear about God until next Sunday at nine. That shouldn't be how it is. And at the same time, um, they should have some ministry outside of the church. They should serve somebody somewhere outside of the church, whatever that is. God gives amazing ministries to people. God has started 
ministries with people and you find out about them like by accident. You're like, wow, that's awesome. Like, where did that even come from? I don't know. God just had me do it one day. <clears throat> Years ago, I was talking to the guy who started Gap Ministries. And he said, uh, God told me I was, I think he said he was in Washington or Oregon. And he said, move to Tucson. He goes, okay. And he goes, what am I going to do there? He goes, just, just move to Tucson. So he gets to Tucson. He goes, feed people. He goes, I don't really have that much money. He goes, just whatever comes in, just offer it. Okay. Tra fast forward, how many years, 20 years later, whatever it is, Gap is one of the largest feeders of people. And a lot of it goes through the church of any ministry I've ever heard of. Literally thousands of meals. I toured their warehouse seven years ago or eight years ago. There, It looks like a fries. I mean, you open it up and there's like, there's the, the commercial freezers, the commercial refrigerators, people coming in from like the, the hosts that have the kids at the, at their houses, the foster kids. Hey, we need chicken. We need this and that. Like they're grocery shopping at their place and feeding these children out of these freezers. And he's like, look, man, we get it all for free. I talked to him a couple of years ago. I sat down with him a couple of years ago and he's like, we're, we're, we're building a new thing where God just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going, reaching out feeding people with the gospel. It's one of the most amazing ministries I've ever known of, um, Gap Ministries. And there's there's so many other, I don't want to just spotlight a few, but there's so many things. And this church was so messed up. The biggest problem, we're going to spend the bulk of our time on, on verse four here. The biggest issue is there were a divided church. They're mad at each other. There's people over here who go, you know, you listen to that guy, preach and teach. And we listen to this guy. And it's almost like having like the right winger Christians and the left winger Christians all in the same, like, like crazy Pentecostal, hardcore reactionary Calvinist people. Like those people don't have picnics together. Just so you guys know, they don't hang out together. They don't do Christmas together. And I mean, church of Christ and this, I mean, you just, it's like all these strong, strong opinions, all these strong, like, Hey, this is where we come out. This is it. Well, we're not going to bend. Okay, well, maybe we should have like a different fellowship then. No, let's just meet together and hate each other and beat each other up all day. No, that's not a good idea either. But you guys need to come, a everyone needs to come a little bit closer to agape love. Everybody. Doesn't matter where you're at. And so the, you know, the, the right-wingers going, oh, you crazy Pentecostals. Well, the crazy Pentecostals need to come closer. And the right-winger, you know, reactionary uh, John Calvin and and further right, if there is such a thing, they need to come closer to the middle of love. Like, hey, you know what? You guys love Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus is our savior. We have a lot in common. More in common should than less. But once again, they Paul's, Paul's lighting them up all over this letter because there's so much wrong with the church. And so um, in verse four, you guys know this verse, if you know this letter, love suffers long. Suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. We're going to spend the rest of our time on this one verse. <clears throat> so suffering long, what does this mean? What does it really mean to the average American? Waiting more than five minutes at Dutch Brothers. I don't know. Maybe. Having a back parking spot at Costco, as I always do. That's not long-suffering. That's just suffering. And it's my own fault for when I go. I shouldn't be going when I go. But this year, I, I um, because the last few years, I've told you guys that me and Shannon always get pinned down to the Wednesday before we need stuff. 
Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we need stuff. And so my smart little techie son goes, oh, let's do Instacart. I'm like, yes, please. So I ordered four pies. And because he, I don't know how he got this code. It was actually less money than if I would have walked in there and wanted to kill myself. So it was a dream. Thank you, Jesus, for technology. But could I have gone in and just been, all right, Lord, I need your patience. I need to suffer long. I need to go. Maybe I should have. I don't know. But it was wonderful uh, having that person just drop off the pies. That's not suffering long. That's not what we're talking about. Although patience does get you to the point where you can do these things without wanting to pull your hair out. I think Jesus on the cross suffering for us on that day is the very definition of long suffering. Think of this grueling day. He's, He's been dragged through an illegal trial. He's been up all night answering, being hit by these guys, being punched by these guys, being mocked by them, being whipped. And then through the day up on the cross, as they continue to do these things, as they continue to mock him, as they continue to do whatever they can do to desecrate him, to make him feel bad, to mock him, even the Jewish leadership, not just the Roman uh, cops, if you will, the, the centurion and all the rest of them, punched, spit on, all for people. As they're doing this, he is literally on that cross for those very people. And the only thing is they don't know it. They don't know it. Suffering long, and after all of that, after having the thieves next to him start off mocking him, and one of them say, hey, it's okay. Um, This guy doesn't deserve to be here. We deserve to be here. All of that, that Jesus said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. How on planet earth could any human being ever say that? After all of that, do you want justice? Do you want vengeance? Do you want to avenge people that do this stuff to you, that people that make you mad, people that cheat you, people that rob you? We all want that. It, it like We want like instant justice. That's what we want. And Jesus suffers through all of it. Long day. Longest 24-hour day anybody's ever had before. And says, Father, don't. Why he would say that? Probably because God was like, I'm not, I'm not allowing this. I'm not like he can pay for the sins, but I'm not putting up with this. I am going to nuke at least 25 people that are standing near there. Forgive them. There's the righteousness of God. There's the judgment of God. And then there's this grace and mercy and kindness. And like, how could you possibly feel that way about us? Because we know how we feel about us. We know oftentimes that when we're mad, it's because our judgments on other people are coming back at us. And we feel like, oh man, like, why am I so mad about this? Oh, because I judged somebody and then I just did it and I didn't get punished for it. And so I feel this, this, whatever this is, this angst or this hatred or whatever. And sometimes it's pointed at us. But on the cross, he suffered long. That's the definition. Kindness. What is, what does that word even mean? Kindness. There's, there's English language is so messed up. We have four, the Greeks had four words for love. We have one. You can say it in any context. People just, the surrounding sentence tells you what people mean by it. I love, I love Texas rolls. I love my wife. I love whatever. I mean, it's like, we know what we mean, but people are trying to learn the language. They're like, wait, what? What did you just say? Kind, to be kind, or that kind of something, or that kind of animal. 
I mean, we have so many words that like have double meanings and like read and read. But the definition is um, of a sympathetic or helpful nature. Um, I love when I see the bumper sticker in town, be kind, the little green one. And that person literally cuts somebody off right after you read it. <laughs> love it. I'm like, that's humanity right there. Humanity 101 right there. That's right. What it means is you be kind. I don't got to be. I'm the one that told you to be kind. You're looking at my bumper sticker. I'm not looking at yours. So of a sympathetic or helpful nature. Romans 2 verse 4 says, don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? And it's directed to, I mean, like when you, not you, the church, like you, Dan, you, person. Don't you understand how kind and tolerant and patient he is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? It's, it's so difficult to be kind because we've got this, like there's a double message with, with America. And so some people go, I'm not going to let anybody take my stuff. I'm not going to let somebody come on my property. I'm going to defend my castle. I'm going to do all these things. I, I get it. <clears throat> it's an inherent normal thing. You want to defend your family, especially as a man like me. I have a wife and kids. I want to protect them. And so it's a natural thing. I'm not just going to like let some guy just like, you know, take a bat out and beat my kids in public and be like, well, I just want to be kind to him. I just want to be kind. Whatever he wants to do is fine. No, I will defend. But at the same time, I can defend and go, well, that's pure evil. That's Satan. That's the enemy. And at the same time, I hope this guy, like, I hope he turns and repents. I hope he has time. You can, you can have both of those things inside of you. You can have both those, those feelings. But Romans 2 is, is spot on. You, whoever you are, God gave you time. And then a bunch of us are like, all right, God, pull the plug on this experiment. And God's like, I'm still waiting for some. And we go, how? How could you? Waited for you. It's true. That stings. Stop making so much sense, Lord. But at the same time, <clears throat> I see it. I mean, you, you look at the world, you look at the evil, you look at the stuff that's going on, and you go, how much longer could he wait? And the best lie that Satan gives you and me at that point in time, it goes, see, a truly merciful God isn't coming back because he would have already come back. That's the lie that I've been told that, that he throws in my mind all the time. Like, well, could it get any worse? Mm, I don't know. If it could, I'm scared of worse. If it could get worse than this. And a lot of it's not like every day I'm threatened on my way to work and I might be killed. It's not that. It's when you look at the world and you look at the quote, love that's gone, that's gone cold, a lot of it's in the church. A lot of the church has no love for one another. And it's, it's encouraging. It's sad, but it's encouraging that this church was going through the same thing. Hey, you guys are divided. You guys don't even care for one another. It's not like they had government entitlements. It's not like they had food banks and all the stuff that people can go. I mean, these people that beg on the street, at the end of the day, I've seen some of the wads of cash. They can eat with the money that they get. Like that wasn't, I mean, sure they had beggars. Sure, they absolutely had street people begging for money. A lot of them were maimed. A lot of them couldn't work. But in our culture, when we like look at the amount of safety nets that we have, we have a lot of safety nets they did not have. So when you had somebody truly poor, they may not eat today. 
They may not eat today when you go and, and you go back into the history and study places like this. There was some wealth in this town, but there was some serious poverty in this town as well. So Jesus suffers long. Jesus is kind. What's next? Love does not envy. Envy is an interesting one. People that are envious of what others have. People that go, oh, you if you gave him one, I'd get one. That's, that's like, I mean, that's like two-year-old, four-year-old number, like 101, right? If you give an ice cream cone to a two-year-old, the four-year-old is coming calling, period. <laughs> there is no way around that. You, I learned that I had to start buying five of the exact same thing. Like it's communism. If I buy one kid this, I cannot spend more than, a, like it can't be a cent off. It's got to be, oh, matchbox cars, all the same color. They're all gray. Enjoy, North Korea. <laughs> Here's a toy for you. I had to do it. We had to do it. But the envy inside of us, it's James would tell you, hey, it's it's you. The envy's you. It's it's in your members, man. You were born into sinful members, into sinful society, and you're gonna envy what you don't have. And then love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. True love does not parade itself. True love doesn't want the credit. True love doesn't try to get the credit. True to love doesn't try and leave little notes. Oh, by the way, I did this. I know you didn't notice and I know you didn't thank me, but I did it anyway. That's not really love. That is somebody looking for a backhanded compliment or something. Or a backdoor, I should say. It's not puffed up. True love does not envy. True love does not have pride. This is what we have to work toward. Wherever you are at, wherever I am at, we have to work harder at it. Nobody has arrived to this level, what he's describing in verse four. Now, one human being that is on this earth right now, Jesus did it, but no one has done it before or since. No one has arrived at a perfect level here. It's something we often hear and we let it run in and out of our minds. We hear these things on you know, the radio. Here's a one minute sermon by somebody in it's about love and you're like, oh, the love chapter. I love that verse. I put it on my, put it on a little thing on my wall. Yeah, it's great. But where is it? Is it just on the wall? It's easy in our society to rationalize hearing that and just kind of letting it out because, well, I have, I have my reasons as to why I'm mad at that person, or I have my reasons as to why I can't talk to that person or whatever it is. And sometimes restoration isn't possible in relationships. I, I say that to you. Sometimes it's not possible because sometimes the other person will not have a conversation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just the everyday, like the little stuff. The little stuff where you're like, hey, that bothered me and now I'm not going to talk to you. But it's like a little thing. It's like a stupid thing. God expects more from us. He expects us to continue to work as he will continue to make us more like Christ through sanctification, he expects us to keep coming back to him and going, hey, I didn't do good today. Here's my body of work. It's not that awesome. I need your help. The I need your help conversation with God is a wonderful thing for your heart because you and I, um, I used to be, I'm a pretty competitive guy. I like to win in any sport. Does not matter what it is. Um, there's a little dumb game called Moloki or Moloki from Finland. My family uh, got it for me. And it's like a little bunch of wooden bowling pins. They look like rolling pins that they cut off on a weird angle and they have a little number. 
And it looks like you put them together and you throw the little pin. And I got my competitive from my dad. My dad's a, a hugely competitive sports guy. And we, this last Monday, were playing this game. And we wanted, we both wanted to win. We were trying to sort of let my daughters, you know, into the game too. Like, I mean, they were in the game. We were trying to let them like, hey, you know, it's set you up for success type of a thing. But in the end, it was always me and my dad that won one of the, one of the games in the end. But no matter what, like from a competitive perspective, 20 something years ago, I was on a missions trip for a couple of weeks in Toronto, Canada. And I was, we were playing volleyball or something. I don't remember what the sport was at the end of the day. And one of the pastors goes, Hey, take this pretty seriously. I'm like, dude, I want to win. I'm like, I got the Cubs and the bears and they never do. So, and I was in Chicago at the time. So it made more sense back then, but, um, Cubs hadn't won the world series yet. Uh, but he's like, dude, he goes, losing, it's good for the heart. He did this, look, patted his heart. He's like, it's good for the heart. I was like, you know what, Jay, that's, that's a really good point. It hurts, but it's true. And I lost a bunch of like basketball games and stuff at the next week. And I was like, I was like, I just lost. I go, it does feel better. It does. It humbles us. It, it pushes us down a little bit. It brings us down to size. Right. But to continue to go back to the Lord and go, Ugh, I blew it. Sometimes we don't want to go back and tell him. But here's the deal. Newsflash, he already knows that you did. He already knows every thought, everything you ever did before you ever showed up on this earth. He already knew. And so it's kind of like going into the principal's office when you know the principal knows why you're coming. You're like, oh, geez. And that was, trust me, that was a lot of my elementary school. Knowing I was going to give away to spanking at the Baptist school. But we work toward this. Like we, we genuinely go, I wake up in the morning. I need to, I need to put this on my radar. Like everybody's busy. I get it. Everybody's, I don't know anybody who's not, but we have to work on this. The church has to be better at this because there are so many people starving and struggling. And I mean, spiritually for this, for the thing, the teachings that you and I take for granted, the things that are right in front of us every single day. So he expects us to be working on it that we would be different, that we'd be supernaturally transformed into the people who love in a time when love is in short supply. A couple quick things. If you ask people today, what is the most essential thing? What's the most essential thing? You just randomly, you have a little iPhone, you stick it in their face. You're like, hey, here's an interview. What's the most essential thing? You're going to get every answer under the sun. A lot of it political. Politics have never solved any single real problem, and they certainly haven't done anything to help anybody spiritually. Yet people need to be loved. Even though you're going to get a million different answers, what do you, what do you get when you ask a five-year-old something? Hey, what do you want? All the toys in the known world? Is that a good thing for them? <laughs> Never. No, they're, they're going to be, become spoiled. They're going to become little monsters. If you give a kid anything he asks every time he asks or every time she asks, you give them whatever they want. I want a million dollars. Here you go. Six-year-old. What's a six-year-old going to do with a million bucks? Probably not good things. But we need to know that there is purpose. They need to know. There, I mean, there's, there's purpose in living this way as a Christian. But they need to know there's a purpose to living. Because a lot of people, they might say that they, they know, but they don't. When you look at the world right now, there's not a lot of purpose. There's not, to quote Rick Warren, there's not a lot of purpose-driven people in this world. There's nothing more essential than this. They need to know that there's a God that loves them. They need to know there's a God who wants relationship with them. 
They need to know that there's a God who sacrificed his entire life for them. And there's nothing more essential than that. And the church knows this. The church needs to be the source of love where people can meet this love face-to-face, where they can encounter this love face-to-face. And it is a lot of work. There's no doubt about that. But what Jesus did for three straight years was nothing but work. I mean, what Jesus did all day was work. It will never be easy, but it is the essential ingredient to the church, both in and out. The in-reach, upreach, outreach, love is the essential. This love, the sacrificial love, the same love Jesus displayed, that's the love you and I have to have in all three of those aspects. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we contemplate these things and they are not only a huge deal, um, Lord, we all need help in this, uh, in this world. We need more of that love flowing through us. We need Christ's life living through us. God, that you would not only take over our lives and live your spirit life through us so that when we encounter people, they know there's something different. They know we don't act like everybody else. But God, that you would do a work through us individually, but that you would revive this land, that you would bring people back to not only church, but but true to a lasting relationship with you. Lord, for those that have fallen away, for those who are just new to it in general, God, that you would, through your spirit, meet them where they're at. God, that they would that you would use us in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.